Hello, everybody, and indeed, I'm Tony Val, and welcome to Hoosier Hometown Heroes, new and improved, I hope. And I have some explaining to do. Our hardcore listeners will note that we've been on hiatus for two years. Yes, two years. And this was frankly because uh, the show took too much time to produce. Uh, Life got too busy. My quote-unquote real job uh, needed more attention. Well, over the past two years, I can't tell you the number of times someone has asked me about the show. When's it coming back? Who's the next guest? Well, the wait is over. We're back. I did say we're new and improved, and I think that's mostly going to be from a feasibility standpoint. Whereas the show used to be mostly a video show, we now plan to do mostly an audio format, kind of a traditional podcast. At least that's the plan for now. Today's guest is business strategy consultant Monty Riffer. Do you know Monty? Um, I'll tell you that one of my businesses just finished a strategic plan process with Monty. And I was so impressed with his work that I knew I wanted Monty to be my very first guest as I brought back Hoosier Hometown Hero. So I I really think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, Before we get to that interview, I want to, of course, thank our sponsor, Prometheus Consulting, the Indianapolis business community's favorite computer support company, steeped in Hoosier values and Midwestern work ethic. Call Prometheus today at 317-733-2388. Prometheus diligently supports computer networks in and around Indianapolis. And now, it's good to be back and on to my interview with Monty Riffer. It is my distinct pleasure to have as my guest, Monty Riffer of the Riffer Group. Monty, welcome to Hoosier Hometown Heroes. Thank you. Pleasure to have you. How, Pleasure how to was be here. your? We're just on the other side of Thanksgiving. Uh, I trust you got enough to eat. Yes, too much. <laughs> as, as always, that's uh, what we do. It's the pain in the evening that uh, you live with. Yes. Oh, I know. Heck, that's you just described my entire adult life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, food is a big thing in in my life. I'll bet. Well, I want to, I want to get to, uh, of course, for me, I came from Chicago and Chicago is a big food city. I want to get to Pittsburgh is one of the first steps I want to take with you and get a flavor for what that was all about. But, you know, we're here today, um, not only because you're a good friend, but I've thought for um, a good while now, especially after working with you professionally, that you're, you're a diamond in the rough here for the Indianapolis business community. And I want to get to some of your magic and, and your uh, GASPA methodology um, that has helped Prometheus so much. But I think, I think to help people get the best understanding of what you bring, I think it actually would pay dividends to, to kind of start at the beginning and a little bit about your background. So you were, you were raised in Pittsburgh, correct? Uh, 30 miles uh, Northeast. Pittsburgh and a German, Pennsylvania, Dutch, German community. All the people came from a little town in Germany called Kassel. And they came from Germany for the steel mill, which was the first steel mill in America. 
was in our town, and it was the first planned town in America. First planned town. town. Yeah, it's called Vandegrift, Pennsylvania. Holy it was God. named after General Vandegrift. Huh. So if you Google Vandegrift, you'll see the history. But it was a planned town, so managers, these Victorian homes, so the managers could work in the steel mill. Then all the laborers came from Italy, Europe, and Germany was one of them. Hmm. And being raised in a German area, my dad was German, of course, and everyone was German, and everything was structured. And you were taught how to uh, do your chores. My father had a statement, I don't chew my cabbage twice, do it the first time, <laughs> and do it the way I want it done, or you're going to do it over. Now, was sauerkraut a staple in your, in your home? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. Do you like sauerkraut? Yes, I do. Really? Yes, uh, as long as it's heated. Ah, interesting. You know, but it was the you know German, uh, very structured. We ate breakfast at seven, we had lunch uh, at noon, and we had dinner at five. And Mondays was wash day, Tuesday ironing day. I don't know what uh, Thursday was shopping. That's when the stores were open Thursday evenings, and mm. then Saturday was baking day. So you were around. So and you worked before you played. Mm. You know, so being a child and I had chores from the age of, I was in first grade, I know. Mm -hmm. So that discipline was part of my life. And of course, then it got into sports and, and all that uh, with the structure. Yeah. Having a, uh, as you know, I, I've got a one-year-old or a, sorry, a first grader, a six-year-old first grader, Lewis. And so as a relatively new parent, um, you know, I start to think about things like the, which came first, the chicken or the egg. Was it giving, like in your case, was it giving, um, your, your folks giving you chores and giving you structure that helped mold you? Or was it, you would have naturally, you're the acorn that fell from the tree. They were naturally structured, hardworking people, and you would have wound up that way anyway. Who knows? Who, uh, you don't know uh, yeah. how you're wired because you're, you know, I, I believe you're wired from birth with certain skills or certain personalities. And I found out through behavioral style testing that I'm very goal oriented, results oriented, uh, you know, self starter, competitor, all that was within me. Mm -hmm. You know, so it just added that structure. I fit in the structure, even though I hated the structure. Mm. But I realized I needed, and I was taught respect. I was taught respect people, respect your elders, respect people, respect authority. That's interesting. So in hindsight, even though you hated it, are, are you very glad that you had oh, that yes. structure? Oh, yes. I wouldn't go. I wouldn't change anything. I mm -hmm. wouldn't change. I wish I had a bit more time with my father before he passed away. No kidding. Because he's, he's, I wrote him a letter, long letter. I took a Dale Carnegie course in my career with Polaroid and uh, told him, you know, my success became how he part of that success, that his work ethic, watching him work in the detail and, and to do it right the first time. So in Pittsburgh at that time, get me up to speed with, I know football is a huge part of your life <laughs> and your story. And so growing up, were you a Steelers fan? Uh, yes. Uh, even though they never won then. Yes. They didn't start winning until the seventies, but that sports was part of it. And football was part of the community because being blue collar, you, uh, Friday nights was a big event in our town. We were a town of 15,000 and I played before crowds of, uh, six to 10,000. Wow. You know, in high school, you know, so, uh, it was, that was the thing to do. Hmm. I've, I've never been to Pittsburgh, but I sort of liken it to, uh, to probably a Chicago type 
work ethic and flavor and kind of blue collar town. Very, and very. So I, I would imagine it just seems like football fits for that town. I could see how those people well, it's, would. Well, it's sports in general. Yeah. Football, but football is the is the big thing. The Steelers was part of it. It changed. Uh, you know, the we say we when we talk about the Steelers. We won. We lost because mm-hmm. you're a part of the the terrible towel and and the games and and the pride. Yes, you know the the it's called the standard. The Rooney Standard, the history of the Rooneys. If you want to read a good book about Pittsburgh, read uh, Dan Rooney's biography, hmm. written by his son, uh, Art Rooney's son, because that is Pittsburgh. Interesting. Do you have an opinion on uh, what Chuck Knoll or how Chuck Knoll did what he did? And it was Chuck Knoll that Chuck Knoll that was the, the star of the four. One of the, yes. So what was his. I, well, I'll, t- I'll preface this by saying I, I recently watched a documentary about uh, Chuck Knoll, and it was fascinating to hear that most of his players knew almost nothing about him. They, fe- they felt like they didn't know him. Did you have, do you have any insight? Uh, no, well, uh, he was a quiet man, a very religious man, went to Mass every morning. Uh, so, and they always told the players, get on with your life. The life's work wasn't football. Mm-hmm. He was very strict on the fundamentals. If we're going to win, this is how we're going to win the standard and how he put that team together, that it was the standard of, of the Roonies and uh, he, he, then, then it was, then the, the other coach, I forget his name right now. Uh, Tomlin's the coach now. Uh, it was, um, uh, it'll come to me, Yeah, but it was that because they look at character. The Roonies always looked at character first in, in their coaches and also in their uh, athletes. And they don't mess around with uh, troublemakers. Did the Roonies make their money in the steel industry or? No, they were uh, actually made their money in uh, horses and uh, gambling. No kidding. Yeah. The art, the, the founder Ruby, uh, he had horses. So he could go around from Pittsburgh to Baltimore to New York. They was in the horse, horse and gambling business. Wow. Bill Cower was the name Bill we Cower, were trying yes, to get. Bill yeah. Cower was uh, so it was always that standard. So that since 1969, there's only been three coaches. They do seem to uh, hold on to their coaches very long. Uh, they call it stability. That's yeah. the one word: stability. You can't keep changing. That uh, you on board. You keep working with them. Mm. You make them better. You know. So instead of getting a new coach, make this one better. Yeah. You know, if you hired right, then the, let them the coach know that it's learned by experience. You don't always become a head coach. It's like my first, uh, when I first became a vice president uh, the, the, in the software company, the CEO said, oh, by the way, here's your card, but you're not one yet. <laughs> it says on the card you are, but I know you're not one yet. You'll be become one. Wow. You know, because you're, and that was, you're always learning. That's huh. what he meant was you're never going to arrive. Yes. Because you always have room to, to, to be a leader, to learn. Hmm. Well, to catch uh, listeners up, let's talk about, you know, you just mentioned your, I'll call it your corporate career. You hinted at it and we will dive deep into that. But let's, let's talk about the interim, which was, you know, you had a football life of your own as a player and then as a coach. Tell, tell me, tell me more about that. Uh, well, I was, uh, I became a high school player uh, in eighth grade and didn't know I loved it until you make the first tackle, the first that became wow. Mm. Then the first time I heard about a plan was my in my junior year, 
uh, I didn't know how good I was. Mm-hmm. And uh, my assistant coach came to me, Tony Nicholas, and he said, uh, you have, you can move on. You don't have to work in a steel mill. This was to, to college or to, yeah, to, to high school, to college. To that college. There's a, Got there's it. a place out there for you. And he said, let's develop a plan. Mm. And so we said, what, well, here's what you're going to have to do to get into a college. Here's how you're going to have to perform. You're going to have to be strong. You're going to have to be fast. Uh, you're going to have to be the different areas of an athlete to, to move on, but you have the ability. And the thing I that hurt me the most, because I had scholarship offers from Penn State and from Notre Dame oh my and from goodness. the top schools, I didn't have the grades because I didn't start even thinking about education, future education, until halfway through my junior, or it was in the fall of my junior year. Wow. So I'd already lost the grade, the grade thing, even though I took the SATs, it was the grade average. Hmm. So then I ended up... Uh, Getting a scholarship, I was a second team all uh, all American in the U.S. Uh, made some of the conference uh, in Pennsylvania, and ended up at Southern Illinois University. Defensive back, correct? Uh, both uh, at that time, you know, I was giving my age away, but you had to play it both the ways. No kidding. Uh, you can only substitute two people when there was a timeout. So I played offense, running back, a defensive corner. Oh my goodness! You know, so uh, ended up in my junior senior year. I never come out of a game. You know, I was on the putting team, receiving team, and by the end of the season, you're, you're kind of worn out. I'm curious. I did not know that, Monty. That's <laughs> fascinating. Now, I, I'm assuming that the game, the game in general, is probably uh, more complicated than it was. Although I don't know for sure. But uh, yeah, it, well, you had different different area, areas. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the wide open, the split ends. You had formations. You were close. You may had a split in or slot. They had that single wing was going by. It was triple option. You know, we started getting into the option plays and that type of thing at that time. And, uh, but if you're if you're pl- essentially playing every snap, practically, you must look at players today and say, "Well, you've got it a little easier than I did." Both from a a, a conditioning standpoint and a preparation standpoint. Yes, because uh, back in uh, in the middle '60s, uh, the weight rooms were just coming into play, where all of a sudden you had universal gyms and uh, in the weight training and the weight programs and diet, uh, even the pros, you know, they had to have two jobs. Yeah. You know, uh, several of the teams, a friend of mine who's Jim Hart, who played for the St. Louis Cardinals, my, my roommate, uh, he had a banking job the off season to make up for, you know, that you, you just couldn't live on what the teams were paying back in the seventies. It wasn't until TV and, and all of a sudden uh, the rules changed and they changed in college where you, could uh, duplicate you have you know you could have an offense and defense and you could recruit 80 people and all that so it did change but the fundamentals never changed mm. it's still a game of heart still is a game of of you just have to play it and at both teams played you know so I was no different you know the fourth quarter if you were in shape and it hasn't changed those who those who are in shape in the fourth quarter how many pro games that the, the team loses in the fourth quarter, you look at the Colts. Oh yeah! Oh my God! How many games they've lost? We know that all too well. In the fourth quarter. So, Do you think, speaking of the Colts, just for a second, since you are <laughs> someone who knows, I was just chatting with a friend uh, uh, yesterday. Do you think the the um, the players are still playing for um, Pagano, or do you think they've checked out? Uh, they're playing for themselves now. Yeah, because they they don't know who's going to come in. You know, so it's good and bad. Pagano's probably on his way out. Yeah. So therefore, there's going to be a new coach who's going to have a new system, a new strategy. 
different players. So they're trying to look good on film. Uh, but some, I think, have given up. You can see they don't have that will, the, uh, the whatever it is, to keep going. You know, that, uh, that one step or that one giving up their body type of thing. I feel like I see that a little bit in, in Chuck Pagano himself, especially the, the post-game press conferences. He, just, he looks like he's, he's just enduring, but he's not enjoying a single second of no, it. No, you can't. Yeah. You can't. It's like uh, you're a lame duck. It's like a president, you know, or, you know, or a corporation, though, when you know you're on the way out, you're, you're there. And maybe he's already been told, uh, who knows. But uh, I would predict it would be a new coach and that the, that they probably, in essence, Chuck would have probably hey, told, told me three or four years ago, you know, because I think a lot of times maybe it was uh, even uh, overcoming cancer that uh, there's more important things in life uh, than that. Than, yeah. and then this game <laughs> I'm sorry it's a great ringtone I like that <laughs> and well so speaking of pro football your plan for yourself in your career was to play pro football yes and then that I was too short and too slow yeah <laughs> oh my gosh Story but it was but life. that was my plan that was my plan uh, and I had a plan you know and a, and a goal uh, well you must look back on that we've never talked about this question I'm about to raise you. We've talked in general about your career and I enjoy it, which is why we're, why we're revisiting it. But um, I've never asked you before, do you feel in looking back for that goal of becoming an NFL player, do you feel like you did the best you could? You, you already said you had a plan. I know knowing you, you worked the plan. You did your very best. Right. So do you agree with that? Do you think you did everything you could? And do you um, take comfort in that? In some areas, yes. Uh, if I, thinking back, I wish I would have uh, worked out differently, but, you know, wasn't, we didn't have the facilities to do the weights and do the off season like the uh, athletes today. You know, they're, uh, and even freshmen are expected to come in in June and start summer school. So it's 12 months where, where we, you know, off season. It wasn't that the ethic, you weren't encouraged. I wish I was encouraged. But uh, looking back is probably the best thing that happened to me. Uh, persevering through a rough time because I went to a tailspin, you know, at that time, you know, because uh, that was my whole dream from a time that that coach said, hey, you can be something different. Mm. And I had the ability to move on. So I'll just share with you. So my sport growing up was basketball. That's the sport I loved. and. You, you know me. I mean, there's, there's nothing about my DNA that's gonna really, <laughs> that made that make sense, but that's what I loved. And boy, did I work my tail off. And uh, my, my career was over um, before my sophomore year in high school. And I worked so incredibly hard. And during tryouts of my sophomore year, I could really tell that the, the other players were catching up. They weren't there yet. They're definitely catching up. Guys are getting taller, and I wasn't. I was done. I was done growing probably in seventh grade, unfortunately. But uh, but I quit. I quit, and it it pro it still gets me to me today that I didn't play it to its finality because I'll never know how far I could have gotten. I'm sure it wasn't much further than I got, but I'll never know. 
it's funny you said that, uh, you know, when you, you sit there and have a, have a goal and you know the, you can't teach speed, can't teach side. What used to bother me was the athletes that were better than me. Yeah. They didn't recognize it. I, uh, I was under, I outperformed them. And even though the, these, my competition, I remember we were as a freshman running the first 40 yard sprint and I was a four, seven sprinter and looking left and right. And we all went across the line about the same, same speed. So, so first time where you faced truly a competition. Yes. I was the fastest on our team in Pennsylvania. Then all of a sudden realizing that I'm not the fastest on this team. Then I outworked them. Mm. I did what extra practice was important to me. So I, my, I never lacked slacked down. I can't remember a practice where I didn't do my, try to do my best at that practice to get better and what the skill is. Uh, the one disappointment that when you, now that we're coming to memory, you're the first time that I'm telling this, I had a chance to go to Buffalo Bills as a defensive back. And I didn't have the money to get there. I had to pay my own way and had to pay my own uh, rent at a hotel. And then if I made the team that give it back to me, that I wish I would have gambled on yourself, gambled on myself. Yeah. And I didn't, but that uh, the Vietnam war was there and it was, you know, that you spend that time and get drafted. You know, that a lot lot of athletes did, Hmm. they got drafted. Some of the draft choices that during time got drafted and had to go to the service uh, for two years. Rocky Blair was one of them, the Steeler back yeah. that was winning in Vietnam. Came back with less than a whole uh, foot, correct? Right, whole foot. And there's the heart <laughs> coming back, and I'm going to I'm gonna let this stop me. Yeah. Ended up, you know, yeah, as a great athlete. Chuck Noll uh, again, right? Exactly. It goes back to, but it goes back to Art Rooney saying, hey, come to the team. We're going to keep you because what you did for the country. So we'll, we'll, we'll do every effort to make it uh, that you're on the team. No kidding. Well, just in the, in the interest of time, I'm checking our time yeah. here because I do want to get to Gaspa and what you do today. Let's talk briefly. You went into coaching after playing. That was your, yeah. that was your next. And next yes. Then I coached at Southern. I went back to Southern Illinois coach for two years. Then went to Norfolk state, Virginia uh, in, or Norfolk state in the state of Virginia, which is an all black school. Uh huh. You know, so I was uh, coaching black athletes and uh, a friend of mine who was a black head coach asked me to come and I had no problem. You know, this is back again. It was just, athletes are athletes. Yeah. You know, the color skin never entered my mind. And then, it, but it was either being married or coaching. And there's where I made the decision. And that's how I got into business. I, I joined Polaroid at that time, but I got out of coaching. But then I'm, I've been coaching my whole life though. Yes. I said to you recently, you and I were talking and I, and I, I said, you know, Monty, it just occurred to me, you got to coach right up until today. Yes. Is, isn't that interesting? Talk about the skill set, how, how your coaching skill set prepared you for the corporate world. Uh, it's all about doing the job, finding out what the job is, the fundamentals, uh, you know, you establish a goal and, uh, you know, in football is all about strategy and plan, strategy and plan, work to plan. Um, looking at a review in the game on film and to improve. And it always struck me strange that I did it, but where companies and leaders in companies don't look at game films. They don't look at the performance on a regular basis to see how it's doing. Or they have a plan, never following it. It's on the shelf. Or my DNA, as you said earlier, 
is all about strategy, you know, and always had a strategy, always worked it. And that's where gospel come in this company out of Chicago. I finally, it was in my passion. My passion was helping people with a strategy and helping them achieve within a strategy, no matter what it was. And, but I, 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 the structure, this methodology, just like me being thrown, a duck being thrown in water, it just reinforced what was inside of me that, wow, there's a structure, there's a methodology to use my passion. Yeah. I see it as a, um, I would call it a, a roadmap, you know, for us and I'll share. So you have, um, helped. So Prometheus hired you, my company yes. hired you. And it was funny because I thought I was going to have to work on Denver for a good long while. And the three of us went out to lunch. And during lunch, he said, how can we get started? That was great. But so I would look at Gospa as a, uh, for us, it was a, it was a roadmap. And I'm sure I've shared with you before. We, so we've been around almost 20 years and we've, you know, of course, being in the IT industry, we've had to go through so many iterations and it's been like riding a bucking Bronco. But we've had, we have tried to implement plans, you know, come up with a new strategy, a new playbook and implement it. We've tried that in the past and it always uh, uh, just fizzled out. And I will say now in hindsight, and this is what I, you know, anytime it comes up and I'm talking to business owner friends and so forth, you know, what we had using the gospel methodology with you kind of driving the ship is we, we had our playbook that not only do we have a playbook, but now we know how to build a playbook. We know how to add plays, remove plays, you know, gee, that play didn't work very well. And so let's ditch that play. We're going to, you know, we need to, we need to pass more now. Let's put more pass plays in there. Um, so let's, let's share what does gospel stand for? What do the letters stand for? Uh, goal is the G goals. Uh, o is the objectives. There were smart objectives that, uh, and those never change once you establish them. Then the strategies, how are you going to achieve the objective, the plans for the strategy, then the actions, which is your day-to-day, week-to-week function, your activity. And the whole key is to focus on the activity, not uh, the goal. So if they, all of a sudden your metrics aren't working, well, what? maybe we have the wrong strategy. Go back and rethink the strategies that do we have the right strategy for this, uh, which could be a pricing strategy. Maybe we tried this and it's not working. So let's, you can you change, but the objective is never changes. Once you establish that objective, uh, which is measured, you don't want to change it. You can change the strategy, the plans and the actions, but never plan uh, because you focus on the, you, the objectives are for a reason and you use, use the right word is a roadmap to success. If you continually focus and be intentional, I always use the term, you know, everyone has good intentions. Mm-hmm. Are you intentional about it? You know, the only way it's going to succeed to be intentional. And that's my DNA. You know, once I put it down, I'll, I'll bleed to death to it, to achieve it. One of the things um, from a business owner, owner's perspective, or at least my perspective, I assume this would apply to other business owners as well. I think, we business owners are sometimes our own worst enemies because we're do-it-yourselfers, okay? And we're used to, we've built something based on our wits and our, our uh, you know, can-do spirit and all those things. And 
if I had to put my finger on, well, what's different? We, we used to try and do our plans ourselves. Okay. And we couldn't do it. Monty Riffer walks into our life and now, now it's done. And I think, I think part of the magic of gospel and the way that you walk a, a company through it is by the time we get to actions, which is where we live day to day, here's what we're doing day to day. We can trust that we have thought through why are we doing these things? So the business owner does not have to, you know, what we do at night is we, you know, I, I know I did this last night. I can't tell you specifics, but well, I, we wake up at three in the morning. We say, Oh shoot. You know, I, I mustn't forget to, you know, whatever, or maybe I ought to, you know, think of, you know, this new approach. We're constantly, gospel saves us from second guessing ourselves and it gives us, now we can, we can go back and review, but it's based on metrics as opposed to let's just totally go by feel. Yeah. It's like, uh, when I turned these companies around in my past, it was every Friday I would take time to look at the week. How do I do? How do we do? And the key metrics, the key, uh, you know, the KPIs of that week. Yeah. Because I did it, you know, weekly for months. Then we did it monthly. But it was just to make sure the people underneath me realized that they were living. The gospel is a breathing. It's not something on the bookshelf. It's a living document. Yeah. With coffee stains and everything <laughs> on it because you bring it out and you're sitting there, you're measuring it. And that was before there was CRMs and analytical tools that they have today. Yes. It was on spreadsheets and you sat at meetings and, okay, here's what you said you're going to do. Did you do it? And, and checks and balances. And then Mondays, you start a new week. So it, it we'd have monthly meetings. I'd meet seven in the morning, six thirty, seven in the morning. We'd have coffee and, okay, well, how was your week? You tell me now what, what's going to be different this week than last week from the, you know, you know, new prospects and sales or do we close any business? Where's the product that was coming out? Where's the engineers? And because it was an integrated strategy with all the departments, because I was the CEO, so I had the sales executive, marketing executive, uh, engineering executive, and the customer support executive underneath me. So I control it. Well, now as a consultant, I can't control those people. <laughs> I can strongly suggest or slightly suggest, but it's up to, you mentioned the business owner, how intentional you want to be, because you're, you're as owners, you, you, may think yourself, but you got lives underneath you. Oh yeah. You got families that yes. depend on the leadership of a company and that you're going to grow the company and they have employment and uh, I can send my kids to college and, and all this, uh, where their dreams are uh, dependent on how well uh, the ownership of this company goes. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the key. You know, it's just not you anymore. Back when I'm sure when you started, it was just you. So now all these activities are the growth that you can hire more people. You can make an impact in the community of, of lives because you are in, uh, meeting some of the people you are impacting lives. So it's up to you owners to be intentional about, okay, where are we in our plan? Yeah. I asked one of your employees when I come in, how was your plan? Oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden can I could see, I could see. Oh. No, no, go ahead. No, no, no. Oh, no, I could no, see, you know, just, uh, and, but, but, the person was working the plan. Yeah. Which is the good yeah, news. Yeah. 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 So that was probably Becky Albat. Just because I know Sarah's out. Yes. 
Yes, we are. We are having gospel meetings. We are working them. I, I knew you f- were facetiously saying, "Oh shoot!" No, it's been a godsend. So, just to get it on the record here, Monty, I think it needs to be said kind of explicitly. You have a in your um, in your life before a consultant and and teaching other companies how to do this. You had this track record of turning around companies, and you did it five or six times. Six times. Six times, and you employed this methodology. So tell me about the team. How, how did that work? And I'd, I'd come into a company. Uh, the VCs or the equity firms would bring the CEO and I in. We went in as a team. Yep. And he knew his role. And as he'd always told me, Riffer, I'm paying you this money so I can sleep at night. You figure out how you're going to sleep at night. <laughs> but I'm hiring you to, so I sleep at night. And my yeah. job was the revenue, the operations. And mm-hmm. so it was, so you, you assessed, you know, it's like every, you know, being an athlete again or a coach, you assess the game. Yep. And how we, what went right, what went, just because we won the game, the Steelers won last night and uh, they were supposed to win by 14 points and it would come down to the last seconds. Well, I'm sure you won, you feel good. But then you, when you look at the game film, you were fortunate in yes. some cases that you won. Same in business, no different business. So I assessed where the ugly, the ugly news, the good, the bad, the ugly on assessment. And you do that as quickly as possible because I learned in the first company we turned around, I took too long and a lot of good people went out the back door. They left the company before they saw the results because of change. And you are going to change because the thought process is that the investors wanted their money. We had three years. All, all the companies, two or three years, or we're out, they'll bring someone else in. You know, so they wanted to get their investment. You know, just get our money back was the, was the measurement. Yep. That they, and so here was the assessment, then we started the plan, which was, and I, I sat back and watched the assessment, watched the leaders, then you had to make the changes necessary because some of the people that was on board weren't the same people that take us where we wanted to go, where we needed to go. And the common denominator, all three of these, or all six of the uh, companies, they had a business plan to raise money, but not an execution plan or operation plan to execute. Mm. And so they got caught up in the day-to-day stuff and spending the investors' money. And they had the wrong people in the wrong places. They had good people, but they're just in the wrong. And how do you sort through that? You know, you you want to keep the good people, but find the right place for them where they excelled in their passion, where, how they were fit. So we had, uh, I developed a hiring process to determine the right fit in the plans. And all this was done, you know, it was hard, but it was, it fit me because the challenge of, of doing it. Yeah. Like I know, said, you got to keep right on coaching. So and then you turn, you sell that one, then you're, you work yourself out of a job, then you get another one. And it was all emerging or disruptive technology. It was, it was really fun as far as the companies. And rewarded was, you know, that, uh, that you met it. Yeah. You know, to, to sometimes you almost forgot about my own personal plan for my life, my marriage and family. You know, that gets into kind of something I've been sitting here thinking about because I'll, I'll share with the, or I think I mentioned to you, I, I recently watched Chuck Knoll uh, documentary. Yes. Well, I, I, over the past month or so, I've watched documentaries on several coaches and uh, successful NFL coaches mostly. And a common thread seemed to be that they were uh, all workaholics and, and uh, their, their wives were saints of some sort. 
And I think, you know, once we get a plan like gospel, once we, once we work with you or someone like you and we finally get over that hurdle, we have a plan, you know, we, we want to run with it. I, you know, I, sometimes I wish, oh man, if I could just do this 24 seven, this would be great. How, so let's talk about balance and how does that, what are your thoughts on well, that? Uh, if I had to do it again, I would, I was never the CEO. I would, I would make sure that my people didn't work more than 10 hours that they worked. If you did, you have enough hours in the day It's the, uh, teach them how not to waste time. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of wasted time during the day. Yes. Uh, I, I traveled because I opened up offices, uh, sales offices around the world. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time, which I couldn't just work 10 hour days. I watched Bruce Aaron special on Bruce Aaron's, which is that he's now the head coach at the Cardinals. And he said, I'll fire someone if they're, they're in the office after 10 hours. No kid. That's stupidity. Yeah. He said, you go home with your family 10 hours in a day. If you're here at seven, you, sh- you, you get enough to get done. You know, you think you're busy. There's only so much you can learn and that you have to be that power, that control. And some of the best coaches would look back and say, I wish I'd have gave more time to my family. You know, no one ever on the deathbed ever says, Geez, I wish I would work longer. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, because of, you th- You know, it's almost felt like you feel yourself more important than what the issue was. And, you know, but you wanted to grow and that type of thing in the company and it's your internal uh, vice. And, and, you know, and that's why it's always good to have a coach or a mentor. Mm-hmm. I don't see how the, everything's moving so fast that I think every person needs a coach in their life. Someone just come along beside them and say, hey, and that's where my passion is now. You know, I help the companies many times though I ended up coaching them on the execution of the plan, not so much life coaching, but how, helping them with their plan of uh, just sitting down with them. Okay. How are you doing? What changes are the strategies working? Uh, that type of thing. But work-life balance is very, very important because it's precious. Uh, yeah. yeah. Got that right. You know, that all of a sudden you, you don't know there's a song out, you know, you, your tomorrow may not come. Right. You know, that we, you know, cause you know, that's hundred percent sure that none of us are going to be here forever. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, I think, I think a podcast episode on Monty Riffer would be incomplete if we didn't talk about, uh, your faith. I I've grown to know you as a man of faith, a very deep faith. Um, how, how's that, how's that changed your life? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. I was that period where giving up coaching and going to business yeah. was where my faith started because that was my whole life. And it was like, that was my God, you know, talk about, you know, you can only have one God of well, football was my God. Yeah. I worship. Uh, that was where I, that's where I focused a hundred percent of my time on not even and uh, to the detriment of my wife and two, uh, two, my two daughters. So that turning point was back then. Okay. If you're God, if there is a God, I'll give it up. I'll give coaching up, but what do I do? And he gave me Polaroid the very next day, hmm. you know, that all of a sudden, and I wasn't even a firm believer. I was raised I was raised with religion, but I didn't see it in action in that community I was talking about. I didn't see that in action. And all of a sudden, and you walk in and learn how to walk in faith and how to trust and how to, you know, it's not all easy and, and how to persevere. 
but now it puts your life in order, you know, where all of a sudden through it all, you still have joy, you know, that joy in the circumstances, joy that there is a, you know, I believe there's a God and I believe Christ is the son of God. Therefore there's joy in knowing that, that we're only here on the earth a short time. Eternities, you know, my one daughter used to always say forever is a long time. And she was four <laughs> years old and, and, and she had more faith at that time than I did. She'd pray. Oh, I'd say she would be sick, and I'd say, "Well, let's pray." So, oh, Dad already did as a four-year-old, you know. So, but it, it is a very important part because then it's how you look at people. Uh, you look you look past their the skin, look past their ability that, that we're supposed to love. Yeah, and that's the hardest thing, you know, loving as Christ loved, loving as God loved, and that's you know, loving your neighbor. And you know, we look at our neighbors, so you know, and how do you look through that? And so that, so when I'm coaching or I'm helping to come, I see, I see the struggles they go through. You know, well, some of the things that personal things in, in your own company that you, that you, uh, you and uh, your uh, people here are facing. Yeah. And I've got to believe I'm sitting here thinking, I think part of your, your own secret success, you're a very driven person. You're a detailed detail oriented person willing to go the extra mile. But you've got a big heart. I would. I've got to believe that. As as, I'm, I'm just picturing myself being an employee of one of those companies you helped run, and I'm just putting myself in the place of maybe someone that didn't didn't live up to it. I'll bet you found a way to let someone go in a nice way. Uh, yes, yeah. yes, I did. No, but I wasn't always that nice person because it's scientific <laughs> uh, that some you've back at the beginning. I've mellowed over the years. years you realize that. <laughs> The lives are important that if you had to release someone, you try to help them, uh, find jobs, you know, that you just didn't cut them off because they had a family and just because someone hired them wrong or didn't try to train them or work with them, make them accountable. Some people, some people say, well, I'm a great motivator. I inspire. I don't motivate. You gotta be, if there's a flame, I can put oil, uh, fuel on it, but motivation comes within. You know, uh, I like, I like motivational speakers, but you walk out the door, you forget sometimes. And uh, as you're watching, you had coaches, I read biographies of leaders. You know, one of my favorite book is, uh, you know, the uh, Lewis and Clark, you know, that whole trip, I would have been on that team. Yes. Going to the Pacific ocean and find that because the strategy and, you know, that, uh, the, the vision of Jefferson to turn it over to the plans of Clark. And he needed, so he, he was the visionary, how did, or the mission, you know, but he was a botanist and how, what his mission back, then he had to hire COO, which was Clark, who had in charge of all the people, you know, in the strategy uh, or Lincoln, uh, all the different leaders, you know, knowing their life and that they were leaders and it's all that. And the one thing that they all had in common, they were servant leaders. They were communicated. They cast the vision. Uh, and so the, you know, and that was before there was books on leadership, you know, that I taught, I taught my managers how to, how to be better leaders and better managers. Uh, in Polaroid, I was the, uh, myself, another person who put together a whole pr- program, how to train uh, leaders, the managers, hmm. how to teach them how to hire and how to evaluate and how to lead, how to communicate. And Polaroid never had, it, never had that. You know, so that was, again, goes back to the coaching. I couldn't understand. But Dr. Land at the time, everyone was an entrepreneur. 
you know, everyone in the company. And he said, just go do it, figure it out. You know, and I'm sure that you, you and I, you've shared that, that Polaroid story with me before and how he was just a very hands-off, just kind of go see what you can do kind of guy. Isn't it interesting that it's, it seems that within an organization, there are certain strategies that work, but it's temporary. You, and you have to, you know, then, then, you know, a, a methodology like yours uh, might, might need to be brought in to kind of, you know, change course. Change course, change directions. Uh, that when I'll know when truly implement it, where everyone in your company has as a gospel yeah. <laughs> down to the, the blind pay, what's your, cause it's, it, that was the whole purpose of it. Everyone, uh, the people at the interactive intelligence come through the, we call it the tree of pansophic, mm. you know, where they were under gospel, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know whether to use it all the time, but I talked to two of their executives in the field, uh, the, the international executive and the national executive worked under me. I know they had gospel because, they are, they are under me. Now, how they did that, but how do you, it's, you know, a large company or a small company. Here's a random question, Monty, and I'm trying to think of uh, how to frame this. I heard, I heard a uh, speaker once of a, a management, very high level management trainer. You know, he, this guy would go into GE and Microsoft and train, you know, upper management. And he talked about, all your, 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 your quotas, your numbers, all the stuff you, you should use your budget. You need to know the, all, every last detail cold, you need to know it cold. Do you, when, <clears throat> are you a believer in, I, I figure you probably are, but I'll let you in. <laughs> you need to know your gospel backwards and forwards, right? You need to almost be able to recite it. You need, it needs to seep into your being and yeah. your pores. You, you have to understand it and believe in it. Uh, and hold accountable. You know, when I'd met with my, the, my, let's say the VP of sales that worked under me, I wanted to make sure he had a gospel for his department. I had one for the corporation, which included him, but then how, how did he have his own? And you measure, so he'd, he'd, he'd present his gospel to me uh, monthly or weekly. Here's um, how you do it on your, your own individual organization. Uh, you know, the people, you know, you know, do they know their job? Mm. Do they know what their role is? They know the importance of the revenue because it was all about revenue or the product we call them product managers, you know, the new features, in their product, the different releases when it was coming, is it the pricing right? So it come down to who owned what, you know, who owned the sales, who owned the customer mm-hmm. it comes down to that in a company. If you're in the sales, if you're a product, who owns the customer, who owns the product, who owns the engineering of the product? Because there, there's where the roles are set up. Yep, and and so for uh, for everyone's individual gospel or the or the the team gospel, the the departmental gospel, I'm assuming. So you study that like a just like a study in a playbook for football. Yes, right. A roadmap. It was yeah. You you knew every you knew the importance of it. You knew I knew what the roles were. I knew what the metrics were. I knew what we measured. Uh-huh. I knew the uh, fundamentals and I can't develop one bit of code, but I know the importance of good code. So we measured them on bugs for the developers. Uh, and we wanted uh, energetic program or developers uh, and you know, who, what team maintenance developers and who, what personalities, because there's the developers who wants the new and the better. And those who didn't want 
just due to the maintenance bug fixes or enhancements, they wanted the new product, you know, so how do you deal with those conflicts? You know, but, but as long as they knew, how would you like to be out in the middle of the ocean, not knowing where you're going? Yeah. Right. So you better have a captain that understands everything about that ship, every role on that ship and how to guide that ship and trust the people at night when he's asleep, that the ship's still going in the same direction. Same in the company. That's where the, uh, where the CEO said, but your job is to, I'm paying you to make sure I sleep at night. <laughs> and then I had the people on board. I knew I was comfortable with that. They knew their roles yeah. and I could sleep at night knowing that they, they were working because, mm-hmm. uh, that they were doing what they, they had the best interest of the company in their own lives. And they, and they knew that I cared for them. They just weren't, they just weren't there for a number that they were a person first. That a number. So I was different that way when you said about my faith that they, I saw them as a person, yeah, not just a piece of meat. And I didn't care men or women. There was no gender issue in, in, in the companies. So it was trying to get the best people. But that time, sometimes their women were in software. Hmm. You know, uh, they were in marketing and uh, they were, and sometimes uh, the best people were women salespeople. You know, but, yeah, but again, it goes back to if you wanted to keep them on board, don't work them 12, 14 hour days. You know, thank goodness you had all this experience and thank goodness that you're, uh, you have this servant uh, disposition, I'll call it. And um, I, again, I'll speak from experience, personal experience. You've, it's been, it's so great to work with you. I would, any business owner listening to this, uh, have a cup of coffee with Monty. I'm, I'm meant to share, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you before just speaking of having a cup of coffee with Monty Riffer. Oh, a couple months ago, over a two day period, I had three meetings with business contacts. None of them were kind of related to each other. Three different meetings. Well, three times in a row, they all brought up your name. Uh, somehow they knew Monty Riffer. They had had coffee with my, I said, my gosh. So you're doing something right. I mean, you're, you're, well, thank you. And I knew after the first couple of meetings with you, boy, I just, I felt like, and I've said to you before, I said, oh my gosh, we've got a diamond in the rough here. Just wait till <laughs> everyone knows about Monty. Um, I want to wrap things up with two questions. If you could boil down to, to any professional person, just one piece of advice, what would it be? Understand who you are and where, what's your passion. You know, that uh, no matter what it is, work in your passion. Then it's not a job anymore. It's your, your, you, you have a purpose. You know your purpose and you understand your person. And it's knowing yourself and being, being, being happy within your own skin. That it, uh, you don't have to always try to be someone you're not. Mm-hmm. To, to thine own self be true. Yes. Right? Yes. Uh, second question, what is one book... And I'm going to put a limit on I'm going to say you can't say the Bible. And that would be your one, although that's probably the right answer. No. What's one book that you um, have gone back to time and again over the years that you just get, you get something out of? Or right. I'll say, what's the other book besides the Bible? We'll put it that way. I've read Clark, <laughs> Lewis and Clark three times. Yep. Uh, I have about six books on Lincoln. Uh, but the one book that I really like is, is, is Good to Great 
by Jim Collins. Jim Collins yeah. And there's another book out there. It's written by a pastor, but it was almost a business book. It's um, The Land Between. Uh, and it talks about, it's a book on faith, but also a book on business that, you know, if you're there, if you're here, you have to, a leader has to describe this like, Paul, me, here's, here's why we need different direction. Here's where we are. When we did assessment, you were very, uh, the four, you sat there. Here's where we are. Yep. Well, and here's where we want to go. So you had to describe where you want to be. And there's a land between where all the crap happens, <laughs> the critical issues. And how do you handle the critical issues as they come up and knowing that, wait a minute, we're still on course. Mm-hmm. That's why you look at the, uh, you know, the metrics as, 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 as possible. Because are we still on course? Are we still after our, our objective? And I know your, your objectives and, what, and you need those objectives. And and the changes and that the way you can start out 2018, but that, but that uh, that Lewis and Clark is my f- my favorite book because I try to put myself in that position. What decisions I would have made? Yes, because I had to change strategy in every bend of a river. Huh. And uh, one thing in the book, when I looked at Clark, someone, someone I told someone, I said, "Wait, back in those days, everyone was a carpenter." I said, "You're probably right," because he was looking for carpenters to build the canoes. And the boats, because they had to build them on the run when they lost a canoe or a boat. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, but uh, this carpenters had to also know how to shoot a gun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it was, yeah. you know, because of what they're going to face. Yes. You know, and, you know, so that was, you know, you're going to have unexpected. That even though you have a, you think you have a perfect strategy. Because your goal never, cha- your objective never changes. But you know your mission in life. You know your goals. An objective, well, the strategy, how do you know that? Because the strategy may not work because critical issues come up. The economy changes and that you thought through. What if? What if we lose, you know, uh, something? I used to take my people through, my managers. If we were 35, if we had 35% increase in revenue and profit, what would you be doing? Mm -hmm. And the reverse, if we, we lost 35%. What, what decisions you'd have to make to teach them that, you know, that, yeah, that's always great here, but all of a sudden there's the economy hits and what's your organization going to look like if that takes place, you know, that you still survive. The whole thing is about surviving because the economy hits like did in 2008. And uh, as you said, almost 20 years, you've had your ups and downs. Yes, absolutely. So. I really appreciate the time. I well, really, it's, it's been fun, Monty. I knew it would be. And I'm, I'm, uh, uh, a huge fan. I have, have well, been I from, thank you. from the day I met you. You're a great reference also. But you <laughs> but you became believer you of of all my clients. Yeah. I don't I'm not afraid to send someone in there and say, Hey, we're working the plan. Exactly. Yeah. No. Well Monty, thanks. Thanks for uh, our time together today and here's uh, to future episodes. Thank you.